His name is Heston Blumenthal. Hello. He is one of the, he is one of the world's <laughs> finest chefs and our captain as we take a journey sure to the centre of food. Sure, Should we do that again? Sure we do that again. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was Sir James. <laughs> oh, let's try again. His name is Heston Blumenthal. This <laughs> is not going very well, is it? Uh, wait, 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 right. Let me try to be professional here. Okay. His name is Heston Blumenthal. Hi, guys. He is one of the world's finest chefs and our captain as we take a trip to the centre of food. My name's Jay Taylor. I'll be your host for this adventure, along with our Fat Duck producer, James Winter. And on today's episode, grab your Michelin stars as we are heading inside the Fat Duck Experimental Kitchen to discover the latest happenings inside Heston's inner sanctum and go behind the scenes on how he goes about writing a cookbook. So without further ado, live from his own lab, let's meet the man himself, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. Hi, Jay. Hi, James. Hi. This is a bizarre one, but a fun one, because James is sitting in the next room to me, and my team are in the next room, and you are in (laughs) England. So in this world of Zoom, where we all talk to each other from the other side of the world, we're using Zoom to talk to each other from the was... other side of the house. <laughs> so, hi everyone. Hi. Hi. We're breaking hi. the illusion that we're in some fancy studio. That's a, a bit disappointing. Um, now, gentlemen, I have, as you know, I have just returned from a very pleasant break in Cornwall, which is fabulous on so many levels and a place I love dearly. And I just thought, reason I thought I'd Yeah, by the way, just everyone listening, it, everyone that, that's listening... James and I know nothing about this because Jay is a mysterious character. <laughs> we didn't know. Did we know where he was going in Cornwall? Not where. James? No, no. Did you? No. James? No. We get, we get, we get, we need so to. We, we, we are we, hearing this live. We get, we get a message saying we need to take a couple of weeks off. So, we've all got to I'm work busy. really, really hard in the weeks preceding this. And then, you know, yeah. there's a couple <clears> of weeks off for everyone. Go, is it? Right, great. Yeah. <laughs> I've got my own, I've got my own troubles. Don't worry. I am going to be away for a couple of weeks. So I now we a long, are, quiet walk. Yeah. <laughs> So we I need to go and stand in the corner and think about my actions for James a while. James and I, <laughs> who are sitting in two separate rooms in the same Provencal house, are about to discover your trip to Cornwall yeah. with your family. <laughs> it was yes. So it was, as always, a delight and just the most wonderful escape to the beach as ever. But in terms of food moments, there's a couple I thought I'd share because things I genuinely always look forward to in Cornwall obviously the fish and chips and it does I mean we've honed in on it we've got a couple of places we know are fantastic but the pasties we've never spoken about Cornish pasties before and they have been a a love of my life for many many years Um, and they are the most fabulous thing I've spoken about pasties on this program several times yeah shows how much you listen (laughs) (laughs) one of my most memorable moments as a kid is sitting in the back of the boot of my dad's car it was open by the way not locked with my sister wrapped in a towel having spent a time on a windswept Cornish beach. And we were wrapped in a towel. Imagine the boot open, old Cortina eating a Cornish pasty from a brown paper bag. 
It was one of life's greatest treats for me. Fabulous. So what was your Cornish pasty memory? Well, I always, I always do this thing where, and I don't even know if I've misremembered this, but I remember going down a mine trip when I was a kid, yeah. and they always talk to you about the Cornish pasties being the sort of food of the miners, and the reason they had such a thick pastry crust is because they were dirty, they could hold on to those and eat it. And they would always throw away the a last part of the crust for the ghosts of the mine so to this day every time i eat a pasty i always leave a chunk of the crust in the bag for the ghosts of the mine <laughs> which is such a strange sort of just an odd thing to do but I, I always do it every single time i have a pasty so that's probably one of my my main memories of it is always wanting to eat it all and not and forcing myself to leave a little bit for the ghosts i didn't know about this ghost thing so I've been eating my pasties completely all my life, which explains many of the haunting experiences I've had <laughs> ever since. It's like Scooby-Doo. It's lots of haunted miners. Not just with pasties. <laughs> I'm surrounded by hungry ghosts who've followed me my entire life. Now, we have had... Uh, correspondence. Hello, everyone out there. Thank you ever so much for getting in touch. We really appreciate it. Um, at Heston's Podcast on Instagram and Heston's Podcast at gmail.com. It means a huge amount. And we've had a lovely message here. Hi there, Heston, James, and Jay. My name is Elizabeth. I am 14 years old. I absolutely love your podcast. It is amazing in capital letters. No emojis. My favourite was the one about food pairings. I've made my own, which my family agree is amazing. It is strawberry kedgeree. You make the normal kedgeree with smoked mackerels. Then when it is ready, you stir in some thinly sliced strawberries. I hope you try it. Thanks for an amazing podcast. Hope all is well. Well, thank you for that, Elizabeth. What do you think of that, Heston? Strawberry kedgeree. Brilliant. Brilliant. Smoked fish and fruit. So mackerel and gooseberry. Uh, Strawberry with anything with black pepper. Huh. Mm. For me, it works. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's a nice mix, Um, though, isn't it? Thanks, Elizabeth. We love Definitely. all, our, all the flavour-pairing ones. Well, the reason you might be able to hear some noise in the background is because we are in Heston's food lab at the moment, his home food lab attached to his home, and it is full of people. Uh, Heston, do you want to tell us what's going on for a start? Yeah, well, I've got a team here. Uh, Pascal, James, Daniel, and Monia. And we are working on the first stage of the first deadline of our new book, which has uh, a working title that Bloomsbury might not be happy about me <laughs> disclosing. But at the moment, I'd like to call it If This Is Not A Cookbook, What Is It? Oh, oh fabulous. I hope it is called that. That sounds really fun. And what can I, what's it um, about then? What's it going to be about? Do you, I mean, it sounds like a very early stage. Do you even know how, what it's going to be about? Or are you just discovering that as you go now? It's about exploring our relationship with food. And something we're calling quantum gastronomy. So everything in life has a minimum of two perspectives. So, for example, we've discussed this before. You can look at something as pain or pleasure. You can look at something negative as an opportunity to learn. Or you can look at it as negative. And it's really about, I suppose, I suppose a lot of this has come from being in the world of Michelin stars, being in the world of the best restaurants in the world, being called the best restaurant in the world, and thinking, you can't have a best. You can have your best. A general best is the person that runs the fastest, the car that runs the fastest, 
the thing is the heaviest, the thing that's the lightest, things that can be measured. But emotion is, we haven't found a way to measure emotion. So our emotional connection, not only with food, but with cooking, to me, is more complex, more interesting, and more valuable, and more precious than any Michelin star, any business of any restaurant. So we're trying to explore that. So we're exploring our relationship with food. Not only food, but the ingredients that we hunted, gathered, shopped, bought, and ate, and most importantly, cooked. And this is this is the culmination of. I mean, you've been obviously on this podcast. We've explored this in myriad of different ways, and the, and we've heard your thinking evolve as we go along with it. Putting it down into a cookbook is a really interesting, or not a cookbook in this case, is a really interesting thing because obviously, you remember when you did the Fat Duck Cookbook? That took you a long time, and it became one of those sort of bibles of a moment in your life, but also a moment in the in the evolution of cooking uh, and some of your concepts going uh, down sort it. of eight or nine year moment in my life yeah that's how long it took to write it so how do you capture how do you even set about capturing your thinking at the moment into a cookbook is this does this have recipes in it does it is it is it theoretical <clears throat> what it does what's your process it does with with we're calling we've i might let james hmm. take over here but this is the most powerful exciting thing that i've ever done and as a, as our core team i think we've ever done it's interesting you talk about recipes. I mean, recipes in many ways are a, a, a construct, a kind of quite re- restrictive framework in which to lay down you know, something that's trying to get people to change their relationship with food. So we don't really think about them as recipes. They're, they're, they're kind of gateways to adventure, Jay, is the kind of idea. But really, we're trying, if we can, to give people an opportunity to fall down a rabbit hole, to, to, you know, to think about food you know, in a new perspective, without being overly prescriptive, and this is exactly what you need to do to do this, but to show them and give them one or two you know, nice techniques, nice things to eat, but along the way, if they want to, can you know, start to change that relationship with food by showing them things that they might not have noticed for themselves. But, but you know, it could be an ingredient. It could be a technique. It could be a, you know, something where we've talked about flavor pairings. We've got one or two things that lead them down that way, but there's also some things which are just fun, you know, and, and you know, with some sort of ways to engage with them as, 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 as a process, but also as, a, as a, a food item, which hopefully gets some of these ideas that Heston's, you know, uh, talking and thinking about down in some way into their life. But, you know, at the end of the day, there will be some delicious things in there to cook. That's the bottom line. So, you know, if people don't want to engage with some of the, the deeper thinking, they can just cook all the recipes and have a really good time. And, and, you know, but we hope it will spark something in some of them to start, tunneling into their own relationships with food and themselves and all of it so it's it's got some high lofty ambitions basically now talking about lofty ambitions well we all have a few of them and we're really excited to share with you a new sponsor we brought on board who can help you fulfill those we have partnered with 
Masterclass, which is a wonderful online portal with just the most incredible array of teachers available to you. These are people of really high profile, uh, both famous in some cases or just very well known in their own fields, but all of them share the same thing, which is they are experts in what they do. And uh, I've been rummaging around, finding some brilliant things. I've been learning from someone called Nikki Nakayama, uh, who's a fantastic Japanese cook, uh, two Michelin stars in Japan. Uh, she's been teaching me all about Japanese cooking, which has been amazing. And I've learned, I mean, just about rice. I never quite realised just how washing the rice can be such a spiritual experience and can make such a difference to the product uh, that you're trying to cook and make, which has been really brilliant. But it's not just food based content there's everything you could imagine in there from uh, music to to movies uh, with hollywood directors and something i've always wanted to uh, to know about which i've been learning about is uh, street art basically spray can art and i've been learning from futura uh, who is one of you know one of the most famous sort of street artists out there and he's been teaching me how to do spray painting so i was learning how to hold the cans properly how to how to use them on 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 different surfaces so um you may see a tag from me sometime soon uh but it is a really really cool place and i was slightly overwhelmed by just the huge variety of things there are on there to learn and if you love learning like we do it's the perfect place for you to go and enjoy uh and the great news is, as they're now a partner with us on Journey to the Centre of Food, we have a offer for you. You can get unlimited access to every masterclass as a Journey to the Centre of Food listener, and you're going to get 15% off the annual membership. All you have to do is go to masterclass.com slash Heston, masterclass.com slash Heston, and you will get 15% off masterclass. And you can access it on your phone, on the web, on smart TV, with new lessons being uploaded constantly i heartily recommend you go and check it out and take advantage of this really great offer and talking about creating amazing things let's delve back into how you make a cookbook i obviously can hear people clanking and crashing in the background what you're talking about here is 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 big theories how does that translate into what your guys are doing in the kitchen right now what are they doing in terms of the experiment side of things that will be then translated into this are you taking your ideas and saying well what happens if you put that piece of food through that theory what are they what are you doing with your team okay so Monish just made me a sandwich it's got eggs in it and it's got i think rocket there's the object and there's the relationship with my object am i eating to to feel to um satisfy hunger am i eating for comfort am i eating for guilt am i eating for what am i eating for so we manufacture emotions through language. There is a Japanese word. James might be able to dis find it now as we speak. I can't remember it, but it's a word which is um, if someone you don't like gives you a gift. And it's a really cool gift. And it's been chosen, tailor-made for you. And you love it but it's been given to you by somebody you don't like. <laughs> then you don't know whether you should thank them or not, or appreciate the gift or not, or receive the gift or not. That sounds like a fantastically Japanese principle, that is this whole gift giving and receiving. I'm going to have a go at this. I'm going to have a go. So apologies in advance to any Japanese listeners, but I think this could be called arigata maiwako. 
Adagata Mawaku. Perfect pronunciation, I'm sure, James. Um, and that means... So I see what you're saying here, which is you, that what you're doing is you're creating food objects and then looking at how they affect you emotionally, internally, physically, mentally, and almost being able to sort of reverse engineer what the food makes you feel and what it does to you. Not how they affect you. It's how you allow yourself to be affected by them. So when you, so when you engage with this book, it's not teaching you how to cook things. It's almost suggesting cook these things and then analyse how you engage with them or if you do or if you don't and what they do to you when you do. So why don't we bring the team in here? Yeah, great. Who are we going to get in first? Why don't, get, um, why don't we get Pascal in first? Hello, Heston. Hello, Pascal. <laughs> I'm going to hand in the headphones. And all our listeners, apologies. This is going to get Pascal chaotic. Pascal and I have worked together for years. We've written probably over a million words, I guess. I'm guessing. Hello, Pascal. I haven't seen you since we were adventuring around the world together on one of Heston's silly adventures. How are you, sir? I- I'm fine. I was just thinking that um, you're responsible for making us eat some of those unpleasant things. The, um, <laughs> the, fri- the, the fried leeches being a particular low point. <laughs> yes. Yes, that was a joyous moment, I seem to remember. I think I dodged that one as well, uh, which, was quite <laughs> which was quite a good one. But yes, it's lovely to see you. And you are there yeah, you too. in Heston's Inner Sanctum. Talk to me about this book. As Heston said, you and him have written a million words together. Talk to me about the vision for this new one, because it certainly sounds different in its approach to cooking. Yes, this is... Uh, what are we trying to do? We're trying to encourage people not to see a recipe as set in stone or as a set of instructions where you end up like a sort of military automaton. You're unempowered. You're unable to step outside the recipe um and we tend to have forgotten that it's about having fun about experimenting about as you'd expect with heston about going on an adventure and exploring and you know you can do you can do that with food once you kind of let all that other stuff go don't fret too much about the timings so in the new book there will be all of those things the amounts and this that and the other but we're we're using a lot of different voices and a lot of visual things to try and show people that it's um, it's a more exciting multi-pathed journey that you can go on through through any recipe you do from the most simple to the most complicated. And these will, in essence, be very simple recipes that offer all sorts of doorways into possibilities, ideas inspirations um springboards for you to make your own exploration i guess that's probably what heston would say is one of the keys is is you know if we succeeded if somebody sort of says well i hear what you say but i'm going to do it my way that's fantastically bold though isn't it for a you think about the tradition of any kind of cookbook is basically empowering the author by saying listen to me i know best do what i say whereas actually you're almost saying the complete inverse to that which is hey look this is a great starting point but you know what go where you like don't listen to me crack on i mean that's really fun and but also bold yes uh, um i think that what we've got to find a way and it can be it could be extremely scary when you start in that uh, if you go to someone just if we were, this is one of our dilemmas have been that you can't just go to somebody and say, we've shown you this, now they're just go and be creative. So it's much more about, often about offering up questions, encouraging them to start questioning, what if I do this? What if I don't do what Heston said? What if I, what if I prefer having this in it? And once you, so it's giving, it's giving them the 
chance to explore themselves a bit like we did when we were kids. We'd put stuff in our mouths and then your mum and dad would go like, don't do that Spit or that take out. you off to the hospital where, you, where you've put that paperclip up your nose or whatever. But, but that's, that's part of the process. And so if we can, without encouraging our readers to put a paperclip up their nose, if we can... <laughs> it's chapter two. <laughs> fi- find, a w- find a way of just, just liberating them to... I think they'd be grateful for it, of that idea of saying, yes, you can go off piece, you can do this. Whereas, whereas we've, there's always been a mentality in many cookbooks where it's just... We've done all the work for you. This is it. Just do this. But that just means you can just do that one thing. Whereas any trained chef can look at a set of ingredients and go, I could do this. I could do that. I could do the other. Um, what do I want to do with this? How do, I, how do I feel about the ingredients before we start? That's another kind of aspect of that kind of asking yourself, what do I want to cook today? Rather than I've got an aubergine in the fridge. What does, you know, what does this chef or that tell me that I'm supposed to do? But more like, what do, I, what do I feel like doing? Do I feel, I feel a kind of Provencal nostalgia and that's what I want to do with this overshine or do I want to take it somewhere else? How do you then, from your perspective, when it comes to that million words, talk me through your process to take these big concepts and then compress them down. I mean, what, what do you aim for a word limit? Do you know how many words you're allowed to include in a cookbook? How does it work? How does it work to get a book on the paper? We don't have a, we don't have a word limit, although with the first book Heston and I worked on together after we'd finished and we did about 10,000 words they said oh we'd have liked it to be shorter and I think thanks thanks for telling me now I, I would have been quite happy to to know earlier that you didn't need quite so much writing um no it's a uh, I mean there's a lot if there's a million words there's many more words of discussion um before we start and it's really you start by trying to pin it down and then trying to make it as what our ideas are and then trying to make it as accessible and entertaining as possible i'd say with the other things and it's how how long that takes without being too fancy or too intimidating or or having a wall of words as well i mean the less the less the better that that takes somebody on a journey i guess there's a point below which it doesn't become very doesn't become very interesting it becomes like sound bites and it's more like the kind of ad speak we get every day so you want to you want to straddle that and something more you know the pleasure of fiction that telling a story having a kind of being evocative and so on that power of storytelling is so much of of part of what heston's always done as well isn't it luring people in with a story rather than a set of instructions Mm. we talk about something in the fact that world called the trombone zoom which for, for movie buffs will know it from that. I think we've talked about it on the podcast about that scene in Jaws where the camera zooms in and sort of widens out at the same time as Roy Schneider sees a shark in the water for the first time. And it's that attempt to try and have that big wide look at something from a distance as well as zooming in on, on some detail in it that is in some way unique and different and interesting. And trying to do that at the same time is that quantum gastronomic perspective that Heston was alluding to earlier. It's It's... I mean, functionally, it's, it's, not, you know, it's, it's not possible, but you can only try. And, and somewhere in between those two perspectives lies a, you know, something really new and interesting about food. Because if, if you can start to question why I'm cooking, why I'm eating, what am I feeling? These are things that often you whiz over in the course of an everyday recipe or a cooking experience. You don't stop and you don't have to. You might want to get your lunch done super fast because you've got to go out somewhere and that's absolutely fine. But we engage with food you know, probably three or four times a day. And it's an opportunity to have a, 
a pleasurable you know aware experience that you know can give you a lot of pleasure number one but also really become something that you can start to you know, look at and tunnel into and become interested in every single day three or four times a day you've got that opportunity and it's one of those few things that you have to do I mean all the other essential functions of the human body are taken over by the brain all the breathing and everything else you don't have to worry about what you do but it just takes care of itself whereas cooking and eating it, it forces you to to do something every single day and you you get a choice every single time how and why you do that and I think that's what we're trying to give people is lots of fun things to do that are different, yes, you know, but they're also full of this curious, creative, you know, genius mind that is Heston, trying to nudge you the whole time to, to, to really get in the moment with it and just enjoy it. And that's what we're hoping to. And, and I suppose Pascal is a master at kind of taking what is essentially sort of a, an iceberg <laughs> and trying to get that tip of it. To, you know to into a book which is as there is no word count as he says but there is a word limit and there is a certain size we can't write a book as that's 40 foot wide and got 20,000 pages but he's pitched that though I bet Heston's pitched that at some point <laughs> there comes a point where you have to you know you have to put it down and it has to has to capture all these many 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 sort of hours and weeks and years in this case of, of discussion and thought into a moment on a printed page which you know stops that process in its tracks and and that's it and that's that's a real skill and you know it's it's you know it's 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 a group activity i think hester would be you know would would be happy for me to say that i mean he's very much the leader and in, you know but there is a group of people to to wrangle all the aspects of this into shape so he can come in and see them otherwise it's it's you know the, the books are too big for one man to to take on alone in that sense yeah and that teamwork makes it so important isn't it to, to actually hone these things to the point they need to be. Well, um, Pascal, it is lovely seeing you after these many years and months. Unfortunately, we are running it low on time on the podcast. So can I ask you to um, throw the headphones to someone who is in the kitchen cooking right now? Uh, we don't have a chance Do to... I, ch- to would you yeah, like let's Daniel? So I grab Daniel, I can see him. Daniel! He's coming in. He's coming in from a uh, hard-working uh, five, ten-minute coffee break. Come on, Daniel. Sunshine. There he is. Put your headphones on. Daniel, hello, sir. So Daniel is the main man in the Fat Duck Development Kitchen, and he and I have also been on many adventures to space food and far beyond that. It's lovely to see you. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm good as gold. It's nice. It's nice to see you there. Uh, so you are in the lab in France. How is it going? It's going. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, it's good to spend time with Hessen again, and uh, good to talk about kind of the philosophy of food and all the things we think about ourselves and how we interact with food so yeah it's fun now just to give you a bit of background for anyone listening out there the the incredible creations that come out of the fat duck will all invariably at some point pass your fingers and a number of them come from your mind as well you are at the sort of very coal face of the brand new concepts and ideas and creations that come out of there what is that process like what's it like to be in an experimental kitchen where there are really no rules most people think it's kind of a bit of a rock star job but uh actually it can be quite hard if you put someone in a room and said okay now just go and do it i think heston might be a little bit different because of his uh kind of wandering mind but for us i think it's about being in a team so there's there's a huge group of people that have influence on it and it's how you stimulate discussion in each other notice things about food Heston talks about his quantum perspective now, kind of how you pick those things out and uh, discuss them together and that can lead to the inspiration. So it's all kind of about different people 
stimulating each other and I'm a bit of a loud mouth so I kind of annoy <laughs> stroke stimulate other people into arguing so that we can find the answer that's mainly what I do a lot of a lot of the skillful work other people do <laughs> yes I would consider you deeply annoying um <laughs> sorry <laughs> Um, but I, also, the thing that's one of the things that's always struck me watching you guys work in the lab is how happy you are, or maybe not happy, to embrace um, failure. And in the way that sometimes I've seen you developing dishes and ideas for months, if not years. And then at some point, you just get to the point where you go, nope, and just put it in the bin. And yes, the learnings will still be there. But ultimately, that creation never makes it to anyone's plate or at any point. How do you get your head around that when you first step inside somewhere like the lab uh, i think there's two things sometimes if you're attached to it it just sits in the back of your mind until you can find a way to make it work in the future but um but other than that i think it's there's a little bit about working for reward and the pressure so it's you know you've got deadlines you need to produce and i suppose as that deadline gets closer and closer you just have to make it work and then you get the reward from having that success as opposed to from the failures i think if you focus on the failures you you should probably go back into the kitchen where it's a lot more rigorous and 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 failure is something that can't happen in the kitchen whereas actually failure is something that helps you progress a lot quicker with with us in the lab so so talk to me about what it is like at the moment in the creation of not only this, this I mean, book feels like the wrong word to use for it, but this, 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 this theory, this concept, this idea that you're compressing into words. What are you actually up to every day? And what is it like being there with Heston? Give our listeners an insight into what that's like. Well, at the moment, like I said, it's uh, talking a lot about, you know, how people perceive and interact with food. And I actually said to Heston the other day, I think he maybe doesn't realise how automatic it is for him and how long he's done these things. So he, he has kind of insights or thoughts that are so normal to him that actually you have to, you have to kind of learn and teach yourself, I suppose. So that's quite interesting to kind of just discuss how you interact with a sandwich, for example, which is probably the most you know, basic food. I just wake up with a hangover on a weekend and, and have a bacon sandwich and barely taste it. <laughs> but um but you know even interacting with something as simple as a sandwich can actually be really invigorating and really complicated and technical so i suppose that's what we're exploring is a little bit of delving into heston's mind and trying to formulate how we can communicate to that people so I communicate that to people and how they can then go away and learn to kind of have a bit of his perspective um and for me it's kind of over the years as I've learned and been around him and on his journey he kind of as I started I suppose he was much more like technical and precise and looking into the you know the smaller or more technical details of every single thing and as as he's kind of moved on he's kind of layered up from the science then to the psychology and the sociology and what is happiness and bringing all that in kind of makes you learn a lot more about you know what maybe drives him to think like that and how you can learn always to kind of pick up more and be better for the guest and and have people you know have people experience really pleasurable moments just to add to that jay obviously around all that thinking and talking and and you know digging into the idea is cooking so the guys are also just i mean we're 
it's cooking every day in the process of a cookbook obviously all the recipes are constructed thought about written and then tested and then developed and then cooked and tasted and adjusted and tasted and cooking and, and so that is ongoing that's it's, it's it's almost the kind of unspoken part of the fat duck world but there is cooking constantly going on yes there's lots of big ideas and new you know in, in you know perspectives to but there's, it's always sort of centered around the idea of trying to express it in some way in an edible moment for somebody and so for example last night i won't give away any recipe content but you know we had a barbecue last night so you know we your barbecue is delicious and wonderful and full of incredibly you know developed thoughtful recipes which are you know invigorating in many ways but also that never stops you know analyzing it and talking about it as we go so it's a, it's a constantly evolving process you know until you know we hit snap and it's it's printed you know into a book that process will continue you know, much to the frustration of bloomsbury i suspect although hopefully they're not listening <laughs> but you know it's hopefully you know, not <laughs> Um, They're probably expecting it last week. I was just going to say, I suppose, we're tasked with the new and the interesting. And my mind just kind of diverts to adding that cherry on the top. So I always forget about to mention the cooking part, which is, you know, incredibly exciting and also sometimes tedious. But um, but that's that's what I am at my core, I suppose, as a chef. I'm just a chef who happens to work for a guy who makes us do things new and different every day. I can testify having watched you cook in the kitchen every single day that is the bedrock of everything and it's just that's t- that's the given as James said that's the given they will be cooking every day it's just what happens on top of that that's the exciting bit but um lovely seeing you mate thank you ever so much for popping on this uh throw those headphones back at the chef himself because or the other chef because we have to uh we have to wrap this one up but um yeah great speaking with you Daniel and good luck with the with the book thank you I'll uh, speak to you soon. It comes out sort of next end of next year for anyone, but suddenly great clicking on Amazon. You know, hold hold your powder dry, whatever they say. You know, it, it, it's coming, but it's it's going to be a few months off yet. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll be talking about it and 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 you know, revealing bits and as we go, you know, as we get into that process. But uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, books and, take ages, don't they? I thought TV. I thought the TV shows you made took a long time, but books well, take forever. And here's a practical reality: you kind of work, you know, you crunch into a deadline, you know, as you do with all these things, and then you hit that deadline, and you think it's over, but it's just the beginning. <laughs> You hand it in. Yeah. And then they come back with notes and thoughts and design <laughs> and photography, which is wonderful. They're fun bits, but then there's more coming back and, and you keep going and going and going and going until kind of the very last minute. And then obviously you, you have to then wait about six months for it to get printed and appear on a shelf before anyone can see any of the outcome. And so it's it is a it's, it's a it's a long old process. Well, that was a show, that was the theory that was the, the, the line we always took with T V shows. No good T V show is ever finished. It's just abandoned. And that's sort of what a deadline is good for. It finally gets you there. So Heston is back on the microphone. Heston, that's been wonderful speaking to the guys. I think delving inside the lab, and apologies to our listeners for the slightly chaotic nature of this, but this is kind of what it's all about, really, chucking headphones on the people there cooking. Um, But that has been a a really great insight into what you're up to. I think, yeah, well, I think we need to, I would like to touch on this more because it's such a big subject. And if this book can... um, supply two things it can supply the human doing side of a cookbook which is the standard um, cookbook format you cook x amount of grams of ingredients for x amount of period of time at x degrees of temperature until the onions go to this color great that's fine but what about your relationship with it sometimes you eat because you're hungry sometimes you eat because you don't want to 
dissatisfy somebody else. Sometimes you eat because of comfort. Sometimes you eat because of pleasure. You never eat for the same reason. And after our breath, it is the most complex relationship that we have with the world. So what we're trying to do here is write a cookbook that isn't a cookbook. It is and it isn't at the same time. <laughs> so you. <laughs> so how do we how do we make it instructional without being instructional? How do we how do we give people the trigger for their own curiosity like Alice in Wonderland so they can discover something new about themselves, their relationship with themselves and the relationship with the planet they live on? So as you said, we're going to keep checking in on this over the next year or so, delving inside the lab, watching the, mo- the pro- monitoring the progress of this and the things you discover along the way and also chatting to the team and seeing what comes up because as with all the things you do, I'm sure a thousand new things are going to come spiralling off that. But unfortunately for this week in the lab and in Heston's world, we are we are out of time. So we're going to tune out now. But Heston, that was lovely. Please say thank you to the guys again from us and uh, we really appreciate you letting us inside your process. Uh, until next week, speak to you soon. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm.